Well, hello, I am Patrick Schwenk, and I am so thankful that you are listening in with me today at Root Like Faith. It is our deepest desire to encourage and equip men and women to be rooted in God's Word, transformed by the love of Jesus, and moved by His mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is more important. Well, today we're talking about overcoming anxiety, and one of the things we'll be talking about is how anxiety oftentimes is largely a learned habit and can be unlearned by engaging in the right practices. And I'm really excited because we have a special guest with us on today's episode. He's a well-known and respected philosopher, theologian, and professor and author. And one of his books called Finding Quiet was especially helpful for me when I was going through cancer treatment. So I can't wait to share today's episode with you and introduce you to our guest. So let's get started. Well, my guest today is Dr. J.P. Moreland. Dr. Moreland is Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. He holds degrees in philosophy, theology, and chemistry. He's the author of numerous books and is considered one of the most influential living philosophers. Dr. Moreland, welcome to Root Like Faith. So good to be with you today. Well, as we were uh, talking before we, we started the recording of this, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to study out at Biola, out at Talbot School of Theology, was because of you. I, I was sharing uh, just how I had a, a professor when I was doing my undergrad at the Moody Bible Institute that was a, a Biola and Talbot grad. And then I got exposed to your writings and, and uh, William Lane Craig's writings. And, and so I have been thinking and dreaming about attending Biola, um, in particular Talbot School of Theology, for a long time, and you had a you had a big part of that. So this is just a lot of fun for me uh, to talk with you uh, today. And as I was mentioning, your book, um, you know, Finding Quiet, my story of overcoming anxiety and the practices that brought peace was really for me very personally a, a, an impactful book. As I was going through cancer treatment. Somehow I came across your book. I think I saw it on Amazon, and it happened to pop up one day, and, and so I, I bought it and began reading it, and it was just an incredible book for me. And so as we're talking today, we're, we're going to be talking about that theme of anxiety uh, primarily, and, and you share your story in the book, but I cannot recommend enough uh, this book to our listeners. It's just an incredible, incredible book, and uh, I can't think of a more relevant topic um, than anxiety and overcoming anxiety because of what we're going on, because of what's going on in the world today. And so I want to just begin um, by having you share your story as, as I was sharing in you know, just a part of your bio. I mean, you are an incredibly well-respected theologian, philosopher, and author. And so I think, you know, a lot of people would be surprised um, and probably were surprised to learn that, that anxiety was something that, that you had struggled with or do struggle with. And, and that really goes back to even your childhood. So I'd love for you as we begin to really just kind of share your story of when that started and, and how you noticed it, that, that in your life. And we're going to get later on in our conversation into some of the practical ways that we can cultivate habits or practices to overcome anxiety. But would you just begin by sharing your story? Sure, I'd love to, Pat. Um, I was born with a genetic predisposition towards anxiety. And what I mean by that is that there, I could trace uh, debilitating anxiety through four generations of my family up, up to me. And so on my mother's side, so when I was born, uh, my genetic and brain structure was such that I was easy, more easily prone to anxiety than a normal person. Now, that didn't mean I had to get that way, but that was a predisposition. Uh, unfortunately, I was raised in a highly, highly anxious family. Uh, my mother was extraordinarily anxious. I observed the way she handled life. 
an internalized and anxious, worrying approach to life. And so uh, that stayed with me throughout most of my life. When I came to Christ, it, it helped, but it didn't, I did not know how to access him in a way that would help me get rid of those habits that I had picked up from, from my childhood. And so uh, I would have anxiety now and then, but it wasn't debilitating until 2003. And at the end of the school year, the last day of school, I'd had a horrible, stressful year. And I had what I call a nervous breakdown. Uh, I, I began to have daily panic attacks. I was uh, in a fetal position on the couch in our living room for a month. I, I, could, I was afraid when the phone rang. I couldn't get up and pay the bills. I was utterly dysfunctional. And eventually, after about seven months, through a number of factors, including medication, which I believe very strongly in. Uh, I went to a psychiatrist and got some good medication and some good Christian counseling. Uh, I got better. But then 10 years later, in 2013, I had a very similar kind of stressful year. And at the end of the school year again, I, I got hit with a five-month uh, nervous breakdown. And I was pretty much in the same place. And so I believe at that point, God spoke to me and said, I want you to take the research skills I've given you and study everything you can find on anxiety and boil down what you learn to, a, to some simple principles. I want you to begin practicing those. And I want you to write a book that will share what you learn with my people. And so I did. And lo and behold, in combination with, with counseling and uh, medications, I began to adopt a set of practices that I talk about in the book that quite literally, quite literally changed my life. Now, that we use that so often, it can almost be a slogan, but I'm serious about it. And uh, the, this really transformed me. Uh, I went through a period uh, for, beginning in August of 2015 for two and a half years where I had eight surgeries. I had a pacemaker put in. I had three life-threatening cancers that were removed, different kinds. I had uh, two rounds of radiation, chemo. I mean, one, one week I saw seven different specialists. Wow. <laughs> and and uh, I was just full of peace and joy. Yeah. And uh, you can ask my wife and my kids. They kept looking at me saying, what in the world is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not kidding. They were laughing at me. And I said, you know, I don't know. I'm just I'm doing really well. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, ha what happened was that I had started practicing these things I learned. So if there's anybody listening that either suffers from anxiety, which is now the number one uh, mental health disorder in the country. Right. Uh, or if you know someone, I can identify with you, believe me. Yeah. I have been there, and it is no fun. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things I really appreciate about you know listening to you and, and then, of course, reading the book, is that you really, I feel like you do just such a good job of giving people permission to go, hey, I'm not alone in this. 
and and this is okay like i think sometimes when uh, at least in the past i know, you know when i was growing up like the idea of a of a follower of jesus admitting that they were struggling with either anxiety or depression i mean that was so taboo and so i just love um your honesty and i feel like that you just have done uh, such a phenomenal job uh, you know as you've talked about this i've watched you know a video that you did at, at biola's chapel um, I don't know when that was, but um, you know, not too terribly long ago. And I just you, you do such a great job of communicating to other people, hey, this is there there is no shame in wrestling with this. Absolutely. And so That's I right. just really appreciate that. I mean, why today do you think I mean you mentioned those statistics about anxiety? And you, of course, you talk about them in the book as well. And I mean, why what what is it about? where we're at as a culture today that makes anxiety so much more uh, prevalent. Um, well, well, make no mistake about it, that uh, anxiety today is, is orders of magnitude worse than it was in biblical times or in the Middle Ages or whatever. That's just a fact. People were anxious then, but it is, uh, we now are having an epidemic of it. And uh, there, psychologists identify three fundamental reasons. The first one is the pace of life at which we live, and we're constantly overly stimulated. Yeah. And by that, I mean usually technological devices. We're on our cell phones and what have you. And our, and our minds and brains were not made to function with that kind of constant stimulation. So we are running and adrenalized. And uh, the, if you're adrenalized too much, just to keep up with the pace of life and the stress, it will eventually uh, blow your brain chemistry out. Number two, we've got, we have a breakdown in community where we do not have, we're too individualistic. Uh, it's very, very hard to find people that you can form a small community with and actually be supportive of one another. We need that desperately. It's not the church. The church helps, but we need a smaller group of, of four, five, six friends that you can get together with and open up. So community. And then the third thing, believe it or not, <laughs> You might not believe this, but it's the advent of moral relativism. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the way that's causing anxiety is that people no longer have confidence that there is a really true way to live life that is flourishing. Mm -hmm. uh, if everything's relative, then there just are no real answers to how we ought to live to minimize our problems. Yeah. And so the foundations have crumbled in American society, and along with it, confidence that there are, in fact, answers that will help us in our quest to get rid of these problems. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is really good. I, I was trying to, and you will probably know this right away, I was trying to remember the, the philosopher that, that talked about that idea, you, you were mentioning moral relativism. Was, was it Aquinas that, that talked about the idea of truth being delightful? Yes. Uh, okay. Yes. And, and so I, I totally, I mean, that, I think you're so right. I don't think we tend to think of that, that third, you, know, you mentioned moral relativism as a cause for it, but you're, you're absolutely right. You, you take truth and just the delight that that brings. We were made for truth and, um, and the abundant life that Jesus promised is, is anchored in truth. And you eliminate that and that has pretty devastating uh, effects. 
um, for sure. And so I love all, all three of those. Those are those are so true. I think about as a parent, um, the the challenges that that a parent faces as they're raising kids, and like you're talking about, screen time is just. I mean, every parent you talk to is wrestling through that. And so it's so important for us to, to hear that and just our, our need for community and how easy it is to kind of get isolated or isolate ourselves and just that, that cultural idol that we have here in the West of, of individualism. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that, that um, you know, you talk about in the book or, or maybe don't mention specifically, but I just, I think you do as well, just a really good job of addressing anxiety and depression from a holistic perspective. And so I think that that is so needed within the Christian community. Um, would you explain why having a holistic approach overcoming anxiety is is so important? And I'm, and I'm thinking here in particular, I know you talk so much in the book about just, you know, the body and, and flesh and cultivating habits. And so again, we're going to get to some of those practical habits and, and practices in, in a little bit. But why is having a holistic approach to anxiety so important as we as we think about being a disciple or follower of Jesus? Well, that's a great question, Pat. And, I, and there are two reasons why a holistic approach uh, is so important. And the first one will help people understand what I mean by this, uh, namely that we are a body and a soul, and uh, our soul uh, it, it can, includes a spiritual side to it and a psychological side where we have thoughts and emotions and so on. Now, um, those all work together in a very tight, integrated unity. Uh, they, 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 they function together like the parts of an automobile. So if I'm having a problem, let's say with anxiety or anger or whatever it might be, there will be a psychological component to that. There will be a spiritual component, and there is likely to be a nervous system uh, neurological brain component wh where my brain chemistry is out of whack. And so what I want to do is to, to, to address my anxiety by paying attention to all three of those areas that I need to have help and work on. So that's the first thing I mean by holism. The reason that's important is that we don't want to reduce anxiety and depression simply to a spiritual problem, because people will say you're not reading the Bible enough. And well, you know, sometimes reading the Bible was profoundly unhelpful to me yeah. <laughs> because it was like it was like trying to read the Bible after somebody hit you with a hammer right. in the thumb. You know, it hurts so badly that the, nothing's helping. Yep. So um, so I would say uh all three. The second part of an integrative approach is to recognize that while the Bible is our ultimate guide, we open our hearts to truth that is found outside the Bible, so that there could be truth that is discovered in psychology or in um, psychiatry yeah. about how we function that is helpful. Now, my point is that if something contradicts the Bible, then it's not, it's not going to help me. It's false. Yep. I'm not going to buy that. But if the Bible is, is silent on it, then I'm, I'm free to assess the evidence or to try something out, as long as it's not immoral, uh, to see if it will help me. Yep. That means, then, that reading secular psychology with wisdom and going to a doctor to get 
antidepressant, anti-anxiety medications, uh, if they work and help, uh, can be part of the package. Yeah, yeah, that that's so good. I I, I remember, um, you know, I think when you were talking with or talking to uh, students at Biola in in one of those chapel sessions, you you I mean say very very strongly, hey, there's no shame um, if you're taking medication. I think is uh, oh, no. hopefully I'm, I'm quoting that right. And I think so many times again. Within the Christian community, it's like we wouldn't, we we shouldn't feel guilty. I mean, I'm I'm on you know two different chemotherapy pills, and it, it might be expensive, but it's not embarrassing. And right. and so when right. we think about you know anxiety or depression, um, just having that that perspective when it comes even to medication, um, you know, as well. And so that I just think again, that's that's really good because so many times. You know, like you're saying that that um, you know anxiety is not always a, a spiritual issue. Sometimes it is, but but many times uh, it's connected to to who we are physically, to brain chemistry, to uh, the way we think, and how that affects the the nervous system. And um, and so I think that that's so important for people to understand and, and to address. Um, I was going to ask you, you know, you you talk about. In the book, Romans 12, you know, um, and the idea of, of offering your body as a living sacrifice, and you're kind of talking about, about that, and, and really, you know, Romans 6 being a, a key for kind of understanding what Paul's talking about in Romans 12. Can you explain that just, just a little bit before we move on and, and kind of talk more specifically about some habits to, to cultivate? Well, Romans 6, I think 12 and 13, verse 12 and 13, and then Romans 6, 19, are two of the most brilliant texts in the entire Bible, far ahead of its time. And I used to read those, and they were utterly meaningless to me, because I had no idea what they meant. Uh, And they say, basically, to present the members of your body to God as instruments of righteousness, and I believe that means shalom, flourishing, peace, joy, holiness, instead of as instruments of unrighteousness, uh, which means... Uh, uh, falling apart, uh, uh, and so on. Now, um, what are the members of my members? Well, they're my organs, like my heart, my stomach, uh, my brain. It can be a region of the body, like my my forehead and my facial region. So, for example... And to present your member to God is to do something. It's not just to say, Lord, uh, my heart is yours or my stomach is yours. Do with it as you will. No, no, no. Um, it's, it's to engage in a habit-forming practice with that particular organ that gets rid of bad fleshly habits in that organ and transforms it into healthy, flourishing, life-giving habits. Let me give you an example. They've discovered that if you smile, that releases a chemical in your body that will actually lift your mood. If you go around with a scowl on your face, it does the opposite. So I tell someone, Look, you may not feel happy during the day. Fair enough. But I want you to, to start smiling by presenting your forehead and your facial muscles to God as an instrument of righteousness and peace and shalom. Now, what does that mean? I, every day, practice the habit of putting your face in a position of, of smiling. You say, well, I don't really mean it. 
Well, okay, but do you mean to mean it? Do you want to mean it? Yeah. Yes. Well, then where are you going to start? I mean, you got to start somewhere. So you're not a hypocrite if you want to want to, <laughs> and, and, you know, if you understand. Yep. So, so, and after doing this two to three months, what will happen is those, you will start forming a natural habit of smiling without even having to do it. It'll become a habit instead of the scowling habit. Now, the point is that your brain and your nervous system has grooves in it. Yeah. And those grooves are shaped and dug deeper by anxious thoughts, anxious triggering episodes, and so on. So what you need to do is to transform your brain. It's called neurop it's called uh, uh, neuroplasticity, where the brain structure can literally be changed by thinking differently. And so, uh, for example, you say, Lord, I'm going to present my brain to you as an instrument of peace instead of, and shalom instead of, of uh, degradation. Well, what do you do? Well, then you start monitoring your self-talk. So you pay attention to how you talk to yourself, which is always negative. And you, what if this happens? Oh, yeah. Catastrophize, <laughs> or I don't think that person likes me. They look funny at me. Right. I, I was an idiot the other day in the meeting. Uh, and you catch those, and you begin to say, "Stop it! I know what I'm doing right now." And you learn. I've got a, a, a way to do this. I can't go into all of it, but you learn how to stop automatically going to your default position of negativity. Yeah. And you restructure your brain through practice, yep. uh, practicing other things. And after two to three months, new habits are formed that are life-giving. Now, I want the audience to remember, to remember this. Whenever you're learning to do something new and you're practicing, you're going to be lousy, and it's not going to be very helpful in the early stages, whether right. it's tennis or learning Spanish or I don't care what it is. If you start learning something new and you're practicing, you're going to be horrible yep. and uh, you're going to fail and it's not going to be useful. And you're going to think, what's the use if you stick with it? After a while, we all know what happens. You begin to learn how to live in a tennis kind of way when you're on the tennis court uh, and uh, you begin to do things instinctively without even thinking about it. Well, that's what Paul is talking about in yeah. Romans 6. And then the question just becomes, well, what exercises do I do uh, to practice replacing ang anxious grooves with joy and peace grooves? And I, and, and I list four of them in the book that are, are life-changing practices. The key again, and then I'll, let, I'll turn it back over, is that anxiety is largely, not entirely, but largely a habit that has been formed that can be unlearned by practicing new habits. Yeah. I do not mean to say that it isn't also caused by uh, traumatic stress in the past or things of that sort, but then there are ways to do practice habits to get rid of that as well. Yeah, but I think I think that is such an important statement that you make, and and such a perspective change 
you know, for so many, I know for me personally, I mean, just again, you know, anxiety is largely a learned habit that can be unlearned by engaging in the right practices. And I remember hearing you say that for the first time and, and it just, that, that is so good. It's, it's so important. And, and you really talk about, you know, those, those habits, which, you know, we'll, we'll kind of end there in, in just a moment with you sharing some of those or that, that four step solution that you talk about in the book. But I know you talk about the idea of, of a habit and how really then the, the, your character, who you are is really then the sum total of your habits. And just as you're cultivating those, those habits, um, how that is that that's the the key then to transformation and transforming each parts of our, our body as we present them um, to the Lord and and so I, I just think that is that is so so important so good there I let's let's end here with with this last question really you know speaking to you know the the listener who is in the midst of of anxiety right now and just speak really practically because I just I, I love. Uh, the the advice that you give there, the, the principles that you give, I think you call it the four-step solution. And just share then those four steps. I mean, just as a very practical way to the listener who's in the midst of of uh, struggling with anxiety, like like where do they begin in terms of overcoming some of the, those distorted ways of thinking and um, just establishing then those, those new habits that will bring about Christ-like character? Uh, very quickly then. I would, first of all, get into good Christian counseling. I would go see a psychiatrist and just see if medication would be helpful. Yeah. If, if not, then don't take it, but give it a shot. This, then the thing I would begin to do would be to practice the four practices I list in the book. I'll mention the one you highlighted. The first practice is the four-step solution, and it's a way of retraining yourself uh, no longer to have uh, anxiety-producing distorted self-talk, where you talk to yourself in a distorted way. And so step one is that you have to learn how to spot when you're doing that. And the problem, Pat, is that these have become so habitual and part of our character that we don't even notice we're talking to ourselves and putting ourselves down or, or... and so the first thing is you pray Psalm 139, 24 to 25, Lord, search me and know me and, and see if there's anything that's painful inside of me yeah. and lead me into shalom. So you invite the Lord in the morning to help you during the day to become aware of when you're doing that. The second thing you do is you try to give a name to what you're doing. Now, in the book, I list 10 typical thought distorters. One of them is, for example, catastrophizing, where you engage in what if thinking, what if this happens, oh my gosh, and then you make it so bad that you can't get your mind off of it. Okay, so doctors have discovered that if you can just name a physical disease you have, you can actually withstand more pain because naming it gives you a sense of control. So step two is very important. What exactly? kind of self-talk are you engaged in? And then, and, and I have a list of the 10 different ones. I'm good at about two or three of them, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Okay, the, step three is that you stop, you turn to something when you're, you catch yourself doing that, that gets you into what's called flow. Yeah. Flow is when you're so wrapped up in something, you lose track of time. It doesn't have to be spiritual. 
It just has to get you uh, focused. It could be checking your favorite websites. It could be reading a novel. It could be maybe clicking a, a TV show or something that you've Googled or, or TiVo'd. Uh, or it could be anything that is going to take your mind off of the, what you were thinking. Do not get in the mud with that thought and battle it. Yeah. Because you'll dig the grooves deeper and make it harder to get rid of. So you got to start thinking about something else. And the only way to do that is to get engaged in something that gets you lost up in it. And then uh, after a while, it might take you 20 to 25 minutes when you're first learning to do this. Now it just takes me about a minute or two because I've been doing it for five years. Uh, uh, And then you can step four is that you can go back and evaluate the process and ask, what did I do well and what do I need to keep learning on? And if you practice that for uh, two, two to six months, uh, uh, you will eventually y- y- learn to, to, to reshape your brain so you're not doing that to yourself. Yeah. Do you, do you think that, I know I told you I was gonna, that, that was going to be the last question, but, but let me just ask you one, one more question just sort of as a follow-up to that. Um, do you feel like, I mean, you, you've described how, I mean, who you are today and your struggle with, with anxiety is, is so different. And, and you would say, and I've heard you say, this doesn't mean you're not going not gonna to struggle with it again. And there, there's seasons or different circumstances that it, that it creeps in again. Um, but oftentimes people will ask me, um, is, is worry or anxiety a sin? Um, and how, how do you typically respond to that question? I know I'm, I know I'm really putting you on the spot. I apologize. I didn't, didn't tell you I was going to ask you that one, but as we wrap up and what, how would you answer that? And just, you know, in hope for the person that, that is wrestling with anxiety and, and feels like, oh, I'm just never going to get through that. Um, yeah. Well, uh, p- apart from situations where you ought to be anxious, like somebody's threatening you, yeah. um, I, I would rather, I don't like uh, to approach it from the language of rule, moral laws and law breaking. Yeah. Uh, so sin, which is a legitimate concept, doesn't go deep enough uh, if we think about it in terms of their God has commanded us to be happy, and I'm anxious, and so I am sinning. That's not particularly helpful. I approach it through the perspective of something called virtue ethics, which does not uh, emphasize what are the correct moral rules that I should follow, and uh, when uh, I break them, I have to confess it or something of that sort. Instead, and that's a legitimate, don't get me wrong, yeah. but I would I think it's more fruitful to approach it. Jesus was a virtue ethicist. What that means is he painted a picture of a good life, a flourishing life filled with the spirit and of love and joy and peace. Yeah. And then he described ways to get there. And so the fundamental question for the virtue ethicist is not what are the right moral rules, but rather, what is a a flourishing life of character look like, and how can I achieve that? So I then would look at anxiety as a fleshly defect. 
it is it is a it is a vice. It is it is an area of my life where I am defective, and what I need to do is to cultivate that area so that my character is transformed into a more flourishing character than one that is dragging me down. So uh, the sin issue has not been helpful, but looking at this as a, 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 a flaw in my broken, we're all broken. So it's a brokenness in my life that I can change if I, if I approach it the right way. And so I hold out the hope that I can get to the point where my character has been reshaped yeah. by practices, therapy, and, and, and good medication exercise, things like that. Yeah, no, that's, that is, that is so good. And, and, um, I think so will be so helpful, you know, for, for many of our listeners. And I, as a pastor, I, I oftentimes, you know, folks that are, are struggling with anxiety will ask that question. And I, I, um, had a feeling you would answer it in that, that way, just thinking yes. of, of that idea, like you, you're talking about. I mean, um, I mean, John ten ten. Jesus says, I came to give you life and a life that is more abundant. It's not always, yeah convenient it's not always easy but but again that idea of, of a flourishing life the good life and we've talked about in previous episodes you're just anchoring that in in Genesis 1 Genesis 2 that that God created us you know for life and for goodness beauty truth and you know to walk with him and to know him and 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 yes yeah, sin is so much more than just breaking a rule it's it's breaking that relationship of course but it's stepping outside of, of God's original design and desire and what he intended for us to to really experience that that flourishing right. or abundant life the life of the spirit so i just think that that response is is going to be so uh, so helpful um and so thank you again for this conversation there's just so many things in here that um were, were excellent and i know we're going to be helpful again the book is called finding quiet my story of overcoming anxiety and the practices that brought peace uh, we're going to link to uh, the book in our show notes along with um, your bio. But uh, Dr. Moreland, thank you again for your time and just for being honest and open about um, your your struggle with anxiety and uh, for taking the time to to write this book. is It's just an incredible blessing. I know it was for me personally and for so many other people. So thanks again for being on Root Like Faith. Well, Pat, it's been my privilege. Well, as always, as we end, I want to just um, remind you, uh, listeners, to go to uh, the show notes at rootlikefaith.com forward slash podcast, and uh, there we'll provide a full bio for Dr. Moreland, as well as info on the book, Finding Quiet, My Story of Ongoing Anxiety and the Practices that Brought Me Peace. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Patrick W. Schwenk and at Ruth Schwenk or on Facebook. And as if I don't say it enough already, we are thrilled that you are joining us as we welcome you into our family here at Root Like Faith. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode.